0: Hello and welcome to the Seliman Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. This time I'm speaking to a really influential, important member of the cheese community and the farming community as a whole. It's Mary Quick uh, from Quick's Traditional Cheddar. Um, Mary's family have been farming on Home Farm down just outside Exeter. Uh, She's the 14th generation, so nearly 500 years. Um, Mary's involved in all sorts of different facets on all sorts of boards, local, national, to do with farming and cheese making. Um, she is also on the food. St- she's on the board of the Food Standards Agency and we actually talk a little bit about that later in the piece. We go back to March the 13th and follow a bit of a timeline through and we discuss what we hope for the future, a uh, sort of post-COVID-19 future, but also what the future of British food and farming might look like and what we hope it looks like. Um, so here she is, lovely to introduce you to Mary Quick
1: we actually had a team member in Thailand at the end of February uh, a cheese dairy team member who was on holiday there and we suddenly thought oh you know we weren't comfortable with him coming back to the farm so we actually put him on isolation long before other people were doing that And we were thinking are we being a bit extreme um, and then of course March the 13 came And suddenly all of our sales, you know, it stopped, went from being a phony war to being, uh, you know, our sales suddenly went off a cliff. And what we realised is not only that um, about 40% of our cheese goes into food service one way and another, but at the same time, uh, multiple retail, we were in a couple of multiple retailers and their deli counters, and that had stopped. And that was around the world about 20% so suddenly you know 60% of our sales had disappeared and it was um yeah we all yes it was um suddenly became very 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 alarming in those numbers for food service and deli counter uh, is is uh, the mm. the there's food service there because you know really classically you know, all of the opportunities, all of the vibrancy in food recently has been in food service, where you get you know people, great chefs, people coming up with great ideas like cheese bar, you know Academy of Cheese, all of that. There's been a an awful lot of stuff out there where you're actually talking to the person who's doing something about food and putting it in front of you to eat there and then, and there's a real vibrancy and liveliness. That really works for specialist food, and that's why what all of us artisan cheesemakers have been really, really badly affected.
0: And, and obviously, all of that was happening before there was even murmurs of the whole, you know, furlough scheme and support in that in that regard. So. You know, at that specific moment in time, you know, the hospitality sector and presumably the production sector as well was not, you know, was looking at layoffs really fundamentally to to you know to see the survival of of, of their business.
1: And then, you know, in a, in our business, we're looking at cheesemakers who are highly skilled. You know, a hundred years of experience in amongst our cheesemakers. You know, we can't. You know, we're thinking, well, how, we we can't afford it. We can't lose it. We can't lose. Those people, you know, how do we square, how do we square this circle? So, yeah, it was, um, we were, it was, a. I I remember that as being a really scary time.
0: In your living memory, has there been a kind of comparable earthquake, if you like, in the way that you do business?
1: I guess uh, foot and mouth in 2001, in a way, you know, and then the cattle were at risk, not the people. Uh, we were closed down from the very first day of the, that it was declared a, a, to be a national outbreak, um, because we sent some pigs to the, you know, we sent some pigs away to the, uh, the slaughterhouse where it was first found. But because we were first in, actually, the restrictions, you know, we didn't find ourselves under really acute restri- restriction. But that could have been absolutely, I and mean, that was terrifying. Mm. We closed the farm to visitors for nine months Mm -hmm. Um, so for me personally and I, I and I think there's the same thing that people will experience over the pandemic you know I date Ooh, did that happen before foot and mouth or after foot and mouth it's become a kind of watershed moment and I think probably that's where this pandemic will be you know that there will be a before the pandemic and after the pandemic.
0: I mean, I guess one of the differences is it sort of, you know, doesn't discriminate between urban and rural this time. Everybody's
1: in it. Well, in a way, that's because what it felt like, certainly in coming out of foot and mouth, I remember the first time I drove on a motorway and realised that, you know, i have been living in this bubble world where i have been, you know, we weren't seeing anyone. We, my kids were, you know, we were making them change coming back from school and wash, shower and change. They weren't, we didn't let them go out to any friends, you know, so we were kind of had locked ourselves down. And the first time I went out on the motorway and there were all the cars, I couldn't believe it. You know, the rest of the world, I had been in this terrifying bubble and um, the rest of the world hadn't. Whereas at least there's this sense of fellow feeling that kind of we're all in this together
0: businesses have had to react very quickly um you know otherwise i mean some some very few but some businesses have been able to kind of mothball in a sense and you know that you know that the producers that perhaps buy their milk in they've been able to kind of shut down production for a few weeks just to kind of take stock as a business wider than just the cheese you, you have to continue cows need milking as you know martin gott said you know to me that you can't furlough sheep um so were you ever faced with a situation where you were going you know do we what do we do with our cattle how do we deal with this constant supply of milk if there's perhaps not going to be the demand for our cheese was that ever a conversation that came up
1: We are really fortunate in that we are members of the Ala farming cooperative um so we and we have kept that membership up unlike a lot of artisan cheesemakers um you know we have got that other place to put our milk so we have been able to sell our milk out uh but i i know that for many cheesemakers that i speak to they have had no alternative i mean i was speaking to perhaps i won't say her name but uh you know because that's confidential information but when it first kicked off suddenly she had milk and she was having to sell it out at 5p per litre
0: and it's what should be going more like nearly 30 is that about right
1: something like that
0: yeah I mean and you know you hear stories from from the US which is a whole other kettle of fish but um you know stories of is it Jasper Hill who who basically got rid of their entire herd
1: yes they they sold their entire I mean they're up in northern Vermont and there really isn't any other use for that milk other than to go into into the cheeses that they make
0: and you think the amount of kind of effort and time and research and money that's gone into developing a herd that gives you milk to make such delicious cheese what a tough decision that must have been it must have been you know seeing that happening around you quite learning. it
1: brought tears to my eyes actually because I have actually visited those cows and it's the most beautiful herd of Ayrshire's and you know being Jasper Hill well like our herd you know, we have designed our herd around our cheese and we've you carefully breed them for generation after generation of cow and you you know, you're looking, you know, when you breed a cow, you're looking three years out before you look at having one animal from that breeding coming back. And so, you know, it's a five, ten year process to have anything like the milk that you want from a herd. So yeah, I mean I just I was I was dev- well, of course not as devastated as they were, but it was sort of devastating news.
0: Stories like that really highlight the impact, I think as well. That's a sort of a, you know, it's such a radical choice to do that. But but you you must have had because obviously, you know, without talking specifics, but but you know, some some specific large customers that you were serving that presumably their orders very quickly tailed off or, or at least were radically reduced
1: everybody's yeah. orders ta- I mean it was just extraordinary
0: because obviously I've done those tours on you know down at quicks which I'm missing dreadfully I have to say you know I was I'm being, missing you Sam you know coming in for those that little cold collation at half past nine off the uh, off the London train and Oh, Mary and Tom are out at something else again. <laughs> They're, you know, on some board some somewhere or other. Um, uh, you know, and you go into that that sort of that huge maturing room, that, that cathedral of cheese, if you like, that barn. Uh and, and you go, you know, prior to this, you'd go in there and it's such a kind of you know, wonderful smell and this overwhelming sensation of, you know, these tons of beautifully made cloth-bound cheddar everywhere. But but was there an element where you'd go in there and suddenly there's a, you know, there's a kind of a, you know, head scratch and a kind of, Christ, how do we look at all this cheese? I mean, because there's only so long you can keep it. I guess there isn't that immediate pressure for, say, a soft cheese maker. But that that impact will come at some point, presumably.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, certainly, you know, we're not making cheese now. We stopped making for three weeks and now we're stopping making for another six weeks. So, I go into the new, our new, our baby cheese store, and uh, there isn't any baby cheese. And then when I go into the main store, as you say, it's it's one of my kind of treats. uh, At the weekend, I go in and check them out when there's nobody else around, and I can see the cheeses. I can get my hands on the cheese to see how the coats are developing. I can see how the new cheese you know normally have a new cheese whether there's anything there that I need to think about you know just everything about the cheese there's something about being there just quietly with the cheese and you know and then being there quietly with the cheese and thinking, wondering crikey when you know when are we how mu- how long have we got to are we going to have to keep this cheese for I mean we've we've dropped the temperature to hold back the maturing okay but um but even so, you know, cheese will, um, as it ages, as a as a traditionally rinded, long life cheese ages, you get more cracks in the rind, you get more internal mould arising. Um, that costs, you know, you have to. We have to look after the cheese. We're still looking after all that cheese, just like, just like we were selling it.
0: One of the interesting success stories of the last few years off the back of something really calamitous was Coraline from Errington, which which normally they'd aged to, uh, to, I think it was like eight months, but it had another 12 months on top of it. And it was a really startlingly delicious cheese. Well, it's
1: the same. It's the same. I mean, foot and mouth, you know, the disaster or the awful, awful time of foot and mouth. Actually, we had some cheese in our, that we had held back for our shop that because that was 15 months old. And then by the time, we opened our shop up again nine months later. It was two years old. And um, Tony, uh, our storeman, very, very expert palate, very expert at, you know, everything to do with cheese care. Uh, he came and said, look, I I don't know what we're going to be able to do with this cheese. It just, it doesn't taste like, the, you know, an extra mature cheese that we had expected. We tasted it and we thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So that is where our vintage cheese came from. Okay. From that aging of, our, of, our, of cheese from 15 months to two years old which kind of we would never have done before and suddenly discovering so you know I feel out of the out, you know, in fact when I look back on it I got an awful lot of if you like self-development out of foot and mouth because it was so difficult and so brutal I found it you know its impact on me personally but also, we got this amazing, amazing cheese. So I'm standing that out of this extraordinariness, we create, you know, we create a whole new world of appreciation of provenance. You know, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. It will be unexpected, but appreciation of provenance, people understanding where their food comes from.
0: I know. I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think, and whether it's a, I'm in, whether I'm in a in a sort of a bubble of of the world of cheese, and 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 you know, actually increasingly the world of kind of regenerative agriculture and sustainable farming i'm you know i'm sort of falling down a bit of a rabbit hole with all of that it's it's genuinely fascinating and there seems to be you know we talked a little bit around it what two years ago now out in your pastures and and you know at the time that was quite hard to find you know a huge amount of information online about what you were talking about but actually now there's actually, you know, whole books being, you know, released in a kind of market to a market that is much more populist than a kind of, you know, specialist agricultural publishers type book. It, Isn't it Yeah, Isn't it it's very much the way things are going and I, I wonder how much that fascination with that is being fueled by this, you know, basically the world's trying to eat us kind of feel that I think people have at the moment, you know, that we're the, we're the virus, in fact, uh, and that we need to respond in a way that is perhaps more in keeping with the way that, you know, people like yourself are trying to do it. John Johnny Crick, Crickmore, who's speaking to yesterday, the way he's trying to push his farm forward. Do you, do you think that's that's the positive that we might see coming out of all of this?
1: Well, not only that we mo- I think we have to stand for that. Mm. If you recall, historically, in a recession, what happened to environmental awareness after the global financial crash? Everybody forgot about the environment. Mm. Now, we have to stand to to have, you know, and there's gonna be a socking Great Recession, isn't there, after this, um, after when this, you know, over the next couple of years, probably, but we have to stand. We have to make it happen. We have to. We have to be talking about it. We, as you talk about the cheese bubble, let's get it out of the cheese bubble. You know, and that's what Academy of Cheese is for. That's what Cheese Bar is for. That's what you know. We're looking. At, you know, it seems weird. We're looking at getting our cheese more into prepack. We've never done much prepack. We thought, oh no, that's not quite right. But actually, if we want our cheese out there specialist artisan handmade cheese out there we have to actually get it we have to get it to people in the form that they're going to be willing to consume it and whether that's online or or um in little packs or you know whatever you guys at cheese bar you know magical things you're doing you know and also uh, i'm sure that the knowledge from academy of cheese you know it's how do we how do we really this has to jump out of the cheese bubble. This has to get into the sort of mainstream consciousness. That And people are at home, they're baking, they're cooking, they're eating as a family, they're thinking about where food comes from. You know, let's, let's have this be a real opportunity. We have to get this so it's not just an elite consideration that this is where, this is how we all think. You know, that... Normal of when we all started recycling. You know, it was a weird thing that a few people did in New York.
0: Well, and now we all have three, four bins outside the front of our house because it's just, that is just how we, we do things.
1: So we, we have to tap into that. There will be a creativity that allows people really to see how their own power in the matter of food, that the food, the choices they make about food, creates the planet that we live on. And also create that, you know, food that give you health.
0: It's understanding the concept of value as well. I think people are often put off, you know, the handmade, the artisan, the, you know, sort of consciously made food because it is more often than not. Well, it is more expensive, it just is more expensive than a lot of commodity products.
1: The attention and intention provided by human beings. actually there's a cost there
0: it's cost but it's also the value of that it's not it's not just you know pounds and pence it is the benefit of a much smaller piece of let's say quicks cheddar versus your large scale commodity not very satisfying piece of block well i think
1: well i think what you've got is flavor you know you've got that those additional layers of flavor instead of a unidimensional
0: but flavor and narrative and knowing that you're buying into a thing that is not just about the thing that ends up on the plate. I mean, when you buy from any of the sort of people that I'm privileged to work with on pretty much a daily basis, you're buying into usually a small independent business, usually a family run business, uh, you know, that is consciously linked to the land.
1: You know, it's our commitment that our cows are grazing from uh, Valentine's Day till Christmas you know and because we think that that's great for the cows we also think it's great for the flavour of the cheese
0: and great in return for the pasture as well presumably because you've got that input back from the cows that you know wonderful dung going back into the earth and
1: sequestering carbon dioxide under our feet to make the soil operate better to produce even better uh, grass and and um, you know even kinder on the soil and because actually that stuff creates new soil permanent pasture creates new soil instead of dispersing it mm, I think... as you do under an arable field you know you've got that amazing unknowable complexity of the soil the amazing unknowable co- complexity of that happens in cows rumens you know and let's by the way let's sort out the methane too yeah, because we're on that as well uh, that amazing unknowable complexity in the way that a cheese Uh, you know our starters work in the cheese the glorious complexity of uh, the way our rinds develop the amazing complexity about how cheese is mature and the chemistry that's created in relation to the environment so you've got these this wonderful 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 complexity and out of that arises gloriously complex flavors
0: that's the gift at the end of it all And, you know, alongside the gift of having an earth to eat, eat that, eat that cheese in, you know, Um, (laughs) uh, can we move perhaps towards the question of, because I feel like we're heading in that direction anyway, of preserving kind of food quality and because of your, so, so maybe you could outline a little bit about uh, your, your sort of external roles from, from the farm. So your, you know, the governmental role, so food standards agency. Um, and and what's been happening recently in in terms of trade bills and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, I'm a board member of the Food Standards Agency uh, whose commitment is um, that food is safe and food is what it says it is. That's its core, core commitment. And that is something that I've, from its very foundation off the back of the uh, BSE outbreak, Um, that was what it was founded from and from that core commitment it's I've just kind of always been had a sense of being behind that and now I've perhaps got a bit more time I wanted to get involved in that another thing I'm involved in is the agriculture and horticultural development board I'm on the dairy board of that which takes levy money from farmers um, and does things that work that has farming work better and I'm really proud that we're really starting to get engaged in environmental issues there and of course the wonderful Academy of Cheese which is about the most exciting thing on the planet.
0: What's your take on you know there's been quite well there hasn't been a lot in the press actually you've had to look pretty hard for it even though arguably it's it's sort of uh, potentially generation defining in terms of our our food quality and, and standards in this country. The sort of the amendments to trade bills, perhaps you could outline what's been going on there and perhaps a little bit of what your take on it might be.
1: Well, the agriculture bill is a really interesting piece of legislation, which seeks to embody, I guess, the core of it being, you know, as you know, under your the European, you know, under the Common Agricultural Policy, there's been quite a lot of money going government money going to farming to support it and while there've been sort of conditions about farming right actually really quite explicitly the agriculture bill that that we will embark on when we leave at the european community is all about public money for public goods and kind of on one level that is great but it's also trying to work out what a public good is. Fortunately, the you know sufficient supply of food is has been accepted as a public good. That's great. The recent thing uh, that happened in, in Parliament was that uh, there were the uh, there was an amendment put forward to protect the quality of food uh, in any future trade bill, and that was defeated. Um, sadly. Because um, it's really important that in pursuit of any, you know, we're going to need to be signing all these trade deals with various countries, particularly the US. And it's really, really important that, as it were, the full might of, um, I have a concern about whether the full might of industrial US agriculture wouldn't just sort of rip through our farming our farming communities
0: it feels like it's such a kind of tipping point at the moment because as you say there is this kind of upswell of interest and and not just in the bubble but that that public interest in well farmed sustainable responsible agriculture producing good quality food and then at the other end of that seesaw you've got you know the headline is is the bleached chicken in a can you know, that kind of nightmare idea of, of this food product coming from the States. And, and do you feel like we're on a bit of a knife edge as to which way we will tip? Or do you think there is a possibility that those two forms could coexist?
1: People's track record when the, whatever they say before they go into a supermarket or uh, people's track record is they buy what's cheapest. So, that you know, there is a concern that that whole thing about bad driving out good.
0: So how do we defend against that? Like, I mean, is it a legislative issue or is it a... Well, we're
1: not going to get it because it's really clear that everybody wants to sign an agreement, to, you know, so that UK services can operate in the United States. I mean, there's also the argument that I've put that, you know, people are getting, you know, people want to die in a ditch over this stuff but i have heard from us agriculture people say well you know you can you can fight all you want for that but us agriculture is so powerful so large so industrialized that whatever standards you put in we will be able to produce it at a cheaper price so you know uh, and we could still uh, and meet whatever standards you are so you know I've, i have got a concern that we may be Almost like picking the wrong argument, and I, I get it. I absolutely get it. We need to, we need to stand, you know. And the, the well, certainly the agriculture minister is standing by the, mm. by, you know, we need to maintain standards.
0: But, but what you're saying, sort of anecdotally from from colleagues in the US, is that regardless of maintaining standards, even if, you know, even if sort of we force imports to to meet the standards that we set, they would because of their their scale, they'd be producing at a cheaper price anyway which which is a much sort of scarier prospect really for you know food producers in the UK.
1: Yeah and uh, I mean obviously an organisation like the Food Standards Agency as as it says in the name is all about food standards Mm. so you know unless the law is changed it will absolutely be on any risk to food standards for the general public but as you say, the concern may be that just sort of economically that people you know if they haven 't got much money they'll might go for the cheapest
0: so is it then does it then less to, it's less to do with perhaps cost less to do with perhaps a sort of legislative solution is it more to do with a kind of advocacy around the idea of you know british produce
1: it It may be that it's it becomes being about where where food comes from and to prize what we've got to prize our you know i this is, spring's been so beautiful during the lockdown you know mm. prizing this incredible landscape that's produced by small-scale farmers as collateral a collateral benefit from producing some amazing food mm. um so you know I just want to give people that sense of their own power in the matter, because at the moment it feels like there are these sort of scary global forces that are going to attack us, and actually all of the power, absolutely all of the power sits with people as they make decisions when they go to the shops. Our whole global economy is all about what it is people buy and what it is people consume, what it is people choose to to take off the shelves. Uh, uh, you know where they choose to spend their money. That's where the whole global economy. That's the filter that a whole lot has to go through. What you and I buy around the world is what the world looks like. And I, I feel that's a really. Come on, guys. Let's let's own our own power.
0: So that was Mary Quick there. Um... Love speaking to Mary. Really miss going down there and teaching. Academy of Cheese down at down at Home Farm. Quick traditional cheddar just outside Exeter. Uh, particularly at this time of year, it's very beautiful down there. Um, really enjoyed speaking to her. I mean, I think. You know, it's a tricky time, to say the least, for food and farming in this country. Slight feeling of being beset on all sides, but fundamentally hopeful. And I think that message of that the power is with, with us, the people, the consumers. Uh, we vote with our feet and the way we shop. Shopping and eating out as a political act, I think, is, is, is the message to take away. Um, I look forward to seeing you next time for The Seliman Podcast. The Seliman Podcast is produced by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about Seliman, go to Seliman Sam on Instagram and Twitter or check out the website seliman.co.uk.